0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett.
1: So you can see the situation Jeremiah's in. It is a dark pit. And here's the question. Have you ever felt like you're in a dark pit with no way out?
0: Have you ever felt like you're in a dark pit with no way out? It's not comfortable. It's often lonely, isolating and a place where despair begins. But wait, that's not the end. Believe it or not, Jesus knows exactly how you feel and he has a plan. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah has been there too, quite literally. So let's join Dr. Corbett in Jeremiah chapter 38 in the mire and mud of the system.
1: Jeremiah is known as the prophet who wept and he's an unusual prophet. He, he came on the scene some 70 years after the death of Isaiah. Isaiah was the first what we call major prophet. And Isaiah and Jeremiah share a lot of similarities. They both lived in a time when their prophecies were fulfilled within their lifetime. Both of them gave prophecies that extended hundreds of years beyond their lifetime. Both of these men were immediately respected and highly regarded and both of these men were persecuted for what they had to say. And so Isaiah died being one of the most honored prophets. This man who within his own lifetime gave prophecies that were immediately fulfilled and then gave prophecies that are just breathtaking in their detail. Around 750 BC or so, Isaiah prophesied 40 details of the life of Christ, where he would be born, how he would be treated, where he would be buried, what he would do throughout his life, how he would die, how he would rise again. You read that in Isaiah 52 and 53. 40 details to be fulfilled 750 years later. That's beyond guesswork. The probability, every time you introduce a detail, the probability exponentially grows of you being wrong or being right. If we say tomorrow it's going to rain, that's one detail, we've got a one in two chance of being right. But if we say it's going to rain at 11 o'clock, we've just introduced another detail. We've, we've got a, a one in, something like a one in 24 chance, considering that there's 24 hours in the day. And so on. When you give 40 details, you have a 1 in, it's something like 10 to the power of 33 chance of just guessing well. In other words, it wasn't a guess. This was divinely inspired. And Jeremiah comes along in this vein, 70 years after the prophet Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 38, we're going to look at the first paragraph there. And that's verses 1 to 6. And... This is uh, just a, a horrible episode in the life of Jeremiah. In the mud, in the mire, and mud of the cistern, the cistern has no water. And and a cistern was a well. And wealthier households uh, will often have a, a household well. And in this instance, when whenever a well ran dry, Um, it was used by um, sometimes nobles and the like who could afford to have these things as uh, virtually the the equivalent of a dungeon. And so we're going to see what happened to to Jeremiah in this instance. And then let's draw some analogy from it. Because one of the things I've been saying to you is that there are some amazing parallels between... The prophet Jeremiah and Jesus Christ, and this is going to highlight one of those parallels. In fact, what we're going to see is, in one sense, Jeremiah had to be thrown into a cistern, uh, this 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 deep well, and he had to experience what he experienced, so that so that there could be the similarities between himself. And Jesus Christ. So we're reading from chapter 38, verse 1. Now, Shephatiah the son of Matan, and Gedaliah the son of Pashur, as you call, the son of Shemaliah, and Pashur the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. So these are the priests, the religious leaders. You remember what jeremiah was saying we've been hearing it for some 30 plus chapters that babylon was coming because the city had not repented babylon was coming because they had babylon had been sent by god god was coming in judgment and the expression the lord is coming an expression that jesus also used we see uh, in jeremiah's time that meant that god was sending the babylonians Verse 2, thus says the Lord, he who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize and live. Verse 3, thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon And be taken. Then the officials said to the king. Let this man be put to death. For he is weakening the hands of the soldiers. Who were left in this city. And the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people. But their harm. Now you you remember that. That in our last session we saw that Jeremiah has just just had a private meeting with the king and in that private meeting with the king the king has said to him I know you're a prophet and I know everything you said was from God what is God saying now and of course Jeremiah tells the king God is saying exactly what he's been saying from the start Nothing new. He's saying the same thing. And then he begged the king, please, I don't want to be thrown into that prison, which was uh, a wooden cage suspended. So when you, uh, probably, there, there were multiple ways they did it. and That was one of them. So uh, that was the last conversation he had. So he's kind of won the king's favor a bit. And then these officials, these religious officials, come to the king. And if you ponder this passage, you'll realize the parallel between the religious priests, the high priest, and the priests of the temple coming to Pilate, the king's representative, the king of Rome's representative at the time of Jesus, and saying, this man deserves to be put to death. You can see the parallels here. And just as Pilate knew that Jesus was not a wicked man, Pilate knew that what Jesus was saying was true. Pilate had this encounter with Jesus, yet Pilate lacked the courage to do the right thing. He didn't do the right thing. And in this instance, neither did Zedekiah. He lacked the courage to do the right thing. So... They've accused Jeremiah of speaking hurtful words to the people. Of course, this episode was played out with John the Baptist. You remember, John the Baptist was thrown in a prison of sorts as well because he had something to say about the definition of marriage. Just worth pondering for those who think God doesn't think it matters. Verse 4. Then the... uh, Sorry, verse 5. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he's in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Now, I read that and I thought, What? The king can do nothing? You're the king for Pete's sake. You just tell him to go and jump. You don't have to give in to the pressure of these people, but he did. That's not good leadership. You know, we could draw some parallels between parenting and children nagging and giving in, and but we won't because I would distract you if I did, so we won't. We could draw parallels between political leaders who are more concerned about public policy driven by opinion polls than by doing the right thing. But we probably won't go there either. This comes on the heels of receiving this week the news of our missionaries in Nigeria and to think that it wasn't that long ago that he was here and just sharing and then he gets on a plane, heads back and is within one hundredth of a millimeter of being dead by a hail of bullets there is a price to pay jeremiah paid the price will you have to pay the price probably not like this for that you might just want to occasionally thank god just might be worth saying thank you god but what if god has called you to pay a price I don't know what that price might be, but what if he has called you to pay that price? Are you prepared to do it? I mentioned before the price that the Apostle Paul paid and he talks about physical suffering and then he talks about the weight of the price that he paid when he says, and then there's all the people in all the churches that I care for. And it was a weight that Paul said was the heaviest weight that he bared not the marks in his body not the lash marks not the scars not the spear wounds sword scars but the weight of actually caring and as i pondered this i i pondered the fact that as i was reading through the gospel of luke we read jesus went into his his local synagogue And he read from the scroll, Luke 4, he read from the scroll and then he closed the scroll up as he read from Isaiah 61 and he said, this day in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were outraged. And it says they took him, they dragged him out of the synagogue, took him up to the edge of the cliff and were about to throw him off when, and I love this bit, he turned around and walked away. He was always in control. And you might just leave the story there without real... You keep reading in Luke, you re, you read the next bit. The next Sabbath, Jesus was in a synagogue. Now, I know I've met people who claim to have been hurt by church. And I don't want to belittle that because you do hear some some horror stories. But for the most part, people's hurt in church means someone let them down in some... Can I say, and I'll just say it, and you may not like me saying it. In fact, most of you won't like me saying it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. And remember, as I say it, you've got to love me. Not like me. You're commanded by Jesus. Second greatest commandment is to love me. So I'm just gonna say it. Nah, maybe I won't. No, I'm gonna say it. Here we go. Most people get offended and leave churches over the most trivial of things there i said it why i was you know I, I get to this part of the story of jeremiah and i think oh jeremiah you've tried to resign you've tried to quit you've handed in your resignation time and time again and god just says you're done now can we just get back to work God just kept sending him back in and he's gone, but this isn't going well. And I was kind of wondering, we don't have any record of the words that came out of Jeremiah's mouth or his heart as he's being lowered down by his ankles into a quagmire of animal poo and mud. What on earth kind of prayer would have been coming out of his heart at this point? My imagination helps me to fill in some of these blanks. <laughs> And there he is, still prepared to serve God. Still prepared to serve God. He sank into the mud. (sighs) There he is. No time frame. We'll come and get you tonight. Just stay down there for the rest of the day. No, no, you're staying down there. No rest of the day or anything. You're just staying down there. You can rot down there, buddy, for all we care. You'll die there. We'll come back and scoop your bones up. Maybe that's where you will die. So you can see the situation Jeremiah's in. It is a dark pit. And here's the question. Have you ever felt like you're in a dark pit with no way out? And before you go, yes, as I suspect many people will. This may surprise you that I think the Bible is so realistic. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't gloss over the fact that there will be times when you feel like it is dark. (laughs) It's like, I can't see any hope. It's dark. I feel like I'm up to my knees in, let's use the really lovely word, mire. And what is that? That's animal feces. It's whatever they wanted to chuck down that well. <laughs> it's horrible stuff. And I feel like I'm up to my knees in this stuff, and it's dark, and they probably would have put a lid on it, on that cistern, too. It's literally a dark pit. It's a dark pit where you don't quite know where bottom is because everything squelches under your feet. And here's the amazing thing that Jeremiah is going through this and Jesus quotes the psalm just before he's about to be crucified where the one thing he uses to express his emotions is this experience of Jeremiah. Therefore, Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what that feels like. And I've got to tell you that one of the greatest transactions you'll ever, ever transact is not the purchase of a home, not the purchase of a car, not the purchase of a thing. The greatest transaction you will ever experience is when you share with someone and they get it. They understand you. You use words like this. I feel like it's so dark. I feel like there's no point to going on. I feel like everything's going wrong. I feel like I'm being crushed. I feel like... And someone says, I know that feeling. I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there. And can I tell you, there's no one more qualified to say those words to you eye to eye, than Jesus Christ. There was a time in his earthly life when no one understood him. Not even his closest disciples understood him. He came up to them at that time when he, as a fully human man with human need, he came up to them and said, couldn't you watch and wait? with me for one hour guys i need your support now for an hour and you couldn't give it and then the end came taken off like a prisoner jesus knows what that dark place feels like he knows it this is the messianic psalm that i'm referring to and it's psalm 69 And if you flick through Psalm 69, you'll see if you are in the habit of highlighting several things that Jesus said in red letters in the gospel, you'll notice that there's a fair bit of this psalm that Jesus actually cited. And this is the psalm he's citing. You know when he says, Zeal for your house has consumed me? That's Psalm 69. And this is verse 2 I sink in deep mire. Where there is no foothold, I have come into deep waters, deep trouble. Water, deep waters—a picture of trouble, and the floods, the flood sweeps over me. Down to verse fourteen, this is the cry, the Messiah's cry: "Deliver me from the sinking in mire. Let. Me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Can you imagine Christ's disjointed arms pulled out of socket, nailed to that cross. And these words come out of his lips. Deliver me, Father, from my enemies. I'm in deep waters now. I can't feel my feet anymore. I do not have a foothold. Jesus knows what that feels like. And here's the wonderful news. Jesus knows how to rescue you now, if that's how you feel. He knows how to rescue those who feel like that. It says in 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And if that's the case, you might want to consider praying Psalm 69, verse 14. You see, Jesus has made a way of escape. I'm studying this book at the moment. This is called The Drums of Dawn. A lot of people read it. I I can't read it very quickly. I've been going on this for a long time now. And as you see, I've flagged things that i go man the other day i, I as in yesterday i read this and, and 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 i just read this this one and a bit paragraphs and i had to put this down i was so deeply moved because i i, I know that I, I make this statement there'll be people go yeah well yeah okay yep sure whatever we're in church talking about the cross talking about jesus yep, whatever come on wrap it up nearly lunchtime come on And my heart's breaking because of that attitude. And then I read this. (laughs) The cross never finds its rightful place in a person's heart until it takes their breath away. It becomes life's supreme and most bewildering astonishment. At his mother's knee, a man may have heard again and again the sweet, sad story of the crucifixion. Hundreds of times, its pathos may have been impressed upon him by earnest teachers and eloquent preachers. The first songs that he learned to sing may have fastened upon his heart the pitifulness of the world's great tragedy. And then he quotes this poem. And this poem probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it does to me. And I'll tell you why in a moment. He quotes this. Jesus, who lived above the sky, came down to be a man and die. And in the Bible, we may see how very good he used to be. But such a cruel death, he died. He was hung up and crucified. And those kind hands that did such good, they nailed them to a cross of wood. I know that poem. I recognize that poem. That's the poem that this book, Drums of Dawn by F.W. Boreham. This is the poem his mother repeated to him every Sunday night. For 15 years on his lap. When he says there are some people who hear it and never get it. There are some people who will sit on a mother's knee. And may have heard again and again the sad sweet story of the crucifixion. He's talking about himself. Who for 15, 16 years was in church every Sunday. As he was old enough, twice a Sunday, he heard the story. He's heard he, he heard his mother plead with him about the beauty of the cross. And it wasn't until he was about 17 that it dawned on him, that he got it. So when he says this, he knows what he's talking about. By iteration and reiteration, by constant representation in song and picture and speech, The story of the cross may have become the most familiar story a man has ever heard. It matters nothing, says Mr. Boreham. A day will come, the greatest day in his soul's long pilgrimage, in which the cross will take to itself all the characteristics of an incredible sensation. He will scarcely believe the evidence of his senses, The blood will leave his face, his heart will stop beating and his nerves will quiver with intense excitement. His whole soul will be thrown into a tumult of agitation. The cross will suddenly become very surprising to him. There is all the world of difference between being touched to tears by the tender pathos of a thousand love stories and falling in love yourself. The same immeasurable gulf yawns between the emotion with which I bear as a historic recital, the moving story of the crucifixion and the emotion with which I suddenly recognize as my own personal redeemer, the Savior who died upon the cross. And as we were listening to Bill Hybels, he shared how over Easter he Preached from John Newton's "Amazing Grace," and he only gave. He uh, he had. He just gave the words of the song. "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a... saved a saved a saved a saved a Come on, some of you know it. I want you all to saved a wretch. Who's a wretch? Six people in this room are wretches. And as Bill Hybels said, John Newton was like one of the boys and everything was cool and everything was good. And then he suddenly had a glimpse of the magnificent purity and holiness of God. And as he pondered that, because it fixed His vision, it gripped him. It demanded all his attention as he saw the pure holiness and perfection of God compared to him. He said, I am a wretch. And then when he realized that for this wretch, Christ died on the cross, he fell to his knees and penned these words. Amazing, amazing grace how sweet the sound and here's the challenge have you been surprised amazed and rescued by the cross
0: jeremiah found himself quite literally in the muddy pit but he also found he'd not been abandoned there for him and for you god has a plan for rescue more from dr corbett next week with the manliness of ebed melech Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program in the mire and mud of the system, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters.